they don't sell very many paintings. But because they haven't got yeah, – you need to have the extra – I mean, I'll call it a bit of front, you know, a bit of a thing. Otherwise, people are just not interested, you know. But today I'm really busy. I've, I've just got a film. They're making a film, and they've asked me to do 10 paintings for a film. Very nice. I've got two commissions in, and I'm meeting someone tomorrow about another big commission. So you see, and my brothers are equally as good as me when it comes to painting, but they haven't got that, you know, what makes things happen, you know, that, you know, and I think that's what you need as an artist. Well, I mean, is it a little bit of like a hustler mentality or is it like uh, a branding, uh, the salesmanship? Like what, what kind of like thing have you figured out? Well, when I came out as such, I was outed as a forger, which I sat down and thought, I've done my own work and stuff before and couldn't sell it. You know, I'd struggled to sell it for 200 pounds. You know, a painting for, in, take me a week. You know, I think I've got a really good piece. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, but it's one of yours. You haven't got a name, so you can't sell it. That was uh, the problem. When I came out, I got outed as a forger. It happened a couple of times, or three times, actually, because <laughs> uh, I kept going back to it, um, you know, on eBay and different, you know, auctions and stuff. But I realized that, you know, I've made the newspapers and I've made the TV stations and stuff. So what I did was I capitalized on that. And I've used that ever since. And instead of saying I'm a copyist artist or anything, I'm a forger. Because there's only about four of us in the country, I think. Known. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know a couple. <laughs> but the thing is, you see, you, see, you slim down the field, and then it's easier to get yourself noticed. My sister's a best-selling author, and she sells a lot of books, but she hasn't got time to do her publicity she hates doing it because it takes away from her creativity. Amen. Yes, agreed. That's exactly the same with me. But I have a, my wife who does all the PR and all the answers, emails. and. I, w- I wish. Yeah, because it's very difficult to change hats, to be an artist fully immersed in creating and then change that to be, becoming a hardline business person. You know, so that's the difficulty. Some people, Picasso was a great salesman. Uh, Damien Hurst was, is a great salesman. You know, um, there's certain people that it fits really well. And there's other people with their struggle. Well, like Damien Hurst, he actually came from the business world and said, oh, you know what? I think I can do this art thing. And so like, he came to, he came to it with a pre-existing skill set, basically, that most creative people just don't have. I mean, I always say that like the people that come into the creative industries do it because we don't want to work in the business world. Like That's why we get creative. And yet in the end, we actually have to be create. We have to be business people as well. I think... And I find it difficult, I must say, but I like having brainstorming sessions with different people about how to get your products out there. I find that interesting, but that's when I'm not painting. I'm so I try and sort of do, I get up early in the morning and I like to get about six and I like to get a few hours in every day and I paint every single day. And then, you know, in the afternoons or something, I can relax and we can meet, I'll meet my friends or my brothers you know my sister and we can throw ideas about you know then you're not taken away from that creativity because in the mornings it's nice and quiet you know my wife's still snoring in bed 
many artists have like a time of day that works best for their creativity. These days, I'm a morning person. In my youth, I was a night person. It changes. Yeah, exactly. I used to paint late at night. But now I can't do it because I can't function the next day. (laughs) I could function, but it's just, it's, you know, it's just, uh, I find that like mornings are really, really great for focus because like the day hasn't put its sort of weight on you for whatever, you know, whatever that is. The phones. The emails haven't blacked up. The errands haven't suddenly been like, oh my gosh, I got to go do this. Like, yeah. Yeah. But but I find it. I'll tell you a little story when I was forging, and this is to do with the art world, is um, I bought a painting at Ford Market, which is an open-air big car boot sale. And all the dealers had been there, and there was a little still life there for £3, not even a fiver, £3. A little still life. Anyway, so I bought it, and I thought I'll use the canvas. I'll overpaint it. It was a, a 1930s, 40 still, a bit quirky still life. So I paid the £3. I brought it home. I was going to paint over it, and I was looking at a catalogue. And it just so happened this was a catalogue, and it had the Bloomsbury's. And the Bloomsbury set, Vanessa Bell, Duncan Grant, and those. So anyway, I was looking, and I thought to myself, wow, that looks like a Vanessa Bell still life. It's got that off sort of centre. It was a funny sort of thing, but quite quirky, from the 1930s, which she was. Um, so I thought, same, I got a bit of acetate. Um, I took the signature off, I repainted the painting, and then I put the signature back in. I just put the initials VB34. I put it in the paint. So if you look for a magnifying glass, it looks like the paint has moved because I repainted that bit in, you know, touched it in. Anyway, I waited till it dried. I varnished it back over and stuff. I put it on, a, on an auction site. I got £700 for it straight away because it had VB on it, not because of the picture, not because of the uh, thing. And then it ended up in the gallery in London for, I think it was six or 7,000. But it was still the same three-pound painting that I bought. The entire art industry is utterly fascinating to me for just this kind of reason, which is basically, it's not merit, it's not quality, it's none of those things. It seems to be it's a sort of cult of personality or skill in branding or marketing, and that's the kind of stuff that makes people successful, which I find difficult yeah i've done it a thousand times i mean i used to buy a lot of paintings and sell them and i've got a really good memory for styles so i can see a picture and oh that looks like a so-and-so or that looks like a duncan grant or that looks like an irish artist i've done it so many times that it was a lazy man's ways of forging so I, i bought another picture one day my brother bought this little irish scene so it was a small painting he bought it for because they're antique dealers and he bought it for me anyway. I said, I said, do you want to come in half with it? Or do you mean to buy it off you? And he said, no, no, give me £100. He said, and you can take it. So I paid him £100. I took, again, I took the signature off. I put another signature on. An Irish artist, a well-known Irish artist. I won't mention it because I probably I might get in trouble. From the 50s, 60s, I put the name on him. I took it into a local auction. And they said, bear in mind, I gave my brother £100. And he had a £70 profit. I took it in there. I just I said, oh, I've got this little page. Any good? And they said, oh, yes, it's about 1000 to £1,500. So I put it in there, and it made the top estimate £1,500. The point, again, is it's the same picture that everyone had looked over. 
it just had a different brand, a different mark on it. I've never actually touched the picture or put a figure in or, you know, altered the picture at all, you know, changed any colours to get it. It was the same picture. And when I say I've done it a thousand times, I've done it a thousand times, you know, over the years. Okay. And this is a question that I was wondering about you, which is these days, like you just did it a second ago where you said like, oh, I'm not going to talk about this thing because I might get in trouble for it. Is it still like, I, I'm not, you know, I don't know all of your exacting legal history and all this kind of stuff, but like, are are there still works of art that you, that are out there that you did quote unquote that like you could somehow be still be arrested for or some sort of legal issues that could go rise not really no i mean i took advice from a solicitor who was a friend of mine on how to sell so i, I sell the same way as christie's or sotheby's so i always put it's sold because there's no provenance i'm selling strictly in the style of after or school of that artist so though i put you know, I might put L.S. Lowry as the header, which gets people's interest. At the bottom, it's got a little caveat. Because I have no paperwork or gallery provenance, this is sold as after or in the style of. And that's why that when I got outed, and I've been going at it about four or five years, and I was making fantastic money. The police couldn't actually do anything to me because I put, always put that caveat. Okay, but what I'm saying is like I'm saying some of the stuff from way back when when you were technically forging, let's say, like you're doing blatant forgeries kind of thing. Like are there still some of those out there that that I mean and well, but the bigger question for me was always because whenever I see interviews with forgers and things like this they're always like, "Oh, I can't talk about that." Or I went to this auction and I saw a piece of mine, but I didn't say anything. So like are there still potential legal concerns that so you like you get certain things you can't talk about still um i don't think so because i i mean i did take advice you know and and i know i'm, I'm on that side of the law because um ebay for instance they said there was a big article in the telegraph and they had contacted the police and the police had said there was nothing to see there you know nothing that nothing what they could do and i'll tell you another story um one day I was at Lewis Auction <laughs> and I was I had some stuff on eBay and I bought it from a friend of mine, Billy the Brush. He's a forger as well. I've done quite a few bits with him. So I had one of his pieces on my site. It was an Indian artist, um, Sousa. Um, anyway, I had it on there. So anyway, I had it on there, you know, in the style of bought in a car boot sale, blah, 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 you know. So I was just in the auction and I got a phone call from Michelle Rycroft of the Antiques Squad. Anyway, anyway, she phoned me up and said, you've got a painting, we've had a complaint, because if it's genuine, it's worth about £80,000. Well, it's either stolen, a forgery, or because you've got it on there, you know, on an auction, you know, with a £10 start price, although it was going up. So anyway, so I said to her, I said, well, look, if it's causing offence, I'll take it off. You know, I'll take the listing off. And she said, well, you haven't got to do that because you haven't done anything wrong. The way you've listed it is correct. She said, but if I see you listed without that caveat, I'm going to come and nick you. She's going to come and arrest me. <laughs> so I got, you know, countless from the antique squad <laughs> from the top thing to say, yeah, you know, you, what you're doing is within the law. So for me, that was like a green light. So we just, <laughs> so we just carried on, you know. But I will tell you that the upside of that 
is I get all the catalogues from Christie's, Sotheby's, Bonhams, Phillips, the British art mainly, British 20th century, because they're the easiest to forge. Then I used to get, because of the materials, basically. I was going to say, why are they the easiest to forge? Yeah, because you can still buy the boards and the canvases of that period quite cheaply, basically. And the materials, you know, are the same that they would have used, you know. I'm always in the car boot sales. If I see a box of paints, you know, from the 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s, I'm on it, you know, and that's it, I buy it, you know. And um, I've got boxes and boxes of paints and lead white and all different colours like that, um, which they don't do anymore. But the, the upside of this is when I get the catalogues, I look for them, you know, just for reference and stuff. And then and I think, oh, yeah, there's one of mine there. <laughs> and oh, well, that's gone through. So people, some, these dodgy people somewhere are taking these pictures in that they thought were, you know, they bought as after or in the style of. They've taken them in, they put them into an auction. And once they're in the system, that's it. They've got auction provenance and they've got a life of their own, which, is, <laughs> which has always amazed me, you know. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Well, okay, but what, how can you tell it's yours and not an authentic then? They're little quirks, you know. Little, sometimes there was a certain artist that I did. That you're not going to tell me, but it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was, little, um, he was from Devon and Cornwall way, Mousel. He's quite well known. He, he's not in the super bracket, but he makes four or 5,000, up to 10,000, 15,000. You know, when you start doing Van Gogh's or... They obviously you draw a lot of attention, but the four or five grand ones, three grand ones, they just slip through. Anyway, I used to like doing him. He was a school teacher in Brighton at one stage in his career. I often see my pictures come up, you know, and it's quite funny. And, you know, I recognize them because of the subjects, you know, and then um, they go through, you know, they've got a life of their own now. You know, good luck to them, I say, but someone's benefited, you know, it's, it's not usually the artist. Okay, but do you like have like a ledger that like upon your death at some point that it'll suddenly will come out saying like, yep, I made all these fakes? No, no. Do you know, I don't even keep photographs or records. When I mean, you're an artist, you know, you know I mean, I'm, I'm more of... I'm horrible at it. Horrible. <laughs> yeah, I'm more interested in, in... I get excited about an artist or I see a picture and I think, oh, I like that, you know, and I wonder how he did that. And so I create it. Or create a replica or, or a version, or, you know, you know, change it around. And for me, that's more of the fun is that creative process. Once I've done it, I'll discard it basically and move on to the next thing that takes my fancy. And then I go, oh yeah, oh, I love that. You know how he's done those colours or how he's laid that out. I wonder how he's done that. So yeah, so so I'm not very particular about my work. Not very precious about it. Fair enough. Well, I have a question though. Going back though, like okay, so childhood and stuff. Because you said that you you have two brothers who are painters, you have a sister who's an author. Like, what kind of family was this that you were raised in that sort of created so many creative people? There's four of my brothers. I've got four brothers and a sister. My sister, Shaney Struthers, she's always number one in the paranormal. She writes paranormal books. I think she got about twenty books out, but she knocked Stephen King off the top spot a little while ago. So she's right up there but my two of my brothers are um, antique dealers they they buy watches especially jewelry and silver and my younger brother dane he's an artist and you'd recognize his style anywhere but it's unfortunately for him it's not a saleable style <laughs> um, you know which is again which is such a shame because he's got that thing where you can recognize his work 
is full of angst and you know and um, pain. He's a manic depressive, but it just doesn't sell, you know. And my brother Steve, he's a fantastic draftsman. When he was a kid, he used to copy Michelangelo drawings, so he's got that type of brain. Again, he hasn't got a name in the art world, so he struggles to make money. So I cottoned on quite quickly from my various, when I changed the names. And I did it years and years ago, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I, I bought a painting when there was no computers. It was the old Lyle's antique books, you know, an arts book. I bought a painting one day, it was a Dutch interior scene. And I saw there was, by the artist I had, was there, you know, 500 pounds or something. But the same sort of genre by another artist was a few thousand so I just t- I took the name, took the name, I put the other name on, I put it in the auction and sold it. That was years ago. You know, I realised a long time ago that it's, it's not how good you are. It's not anything else. It's about your name. Your name sells. People buy names, you know. Uh, sadly, I've been aware of this for decades. Like, I've always known, because it, like my early professors used to say things like, it's, it's your reputation. Your name is your reputation. Your reputation is everything. And I and I understood that part of it, but I didn't understand the other side of it. So like, there's one thing like to yourself, like my, my artwork and my expressiveness and my style is my, that's my reputation and it's tied with my name. Like, I get that. But there's the other side of it, the marketing, the, the sort of the external part of it, where you have to, you almost, and it's, it's, it's depressing for me to say this, but like you almost have to become a brand to be successful. Like, because I mean, look at the, you know, Damien Hurst, I mean, all these different kinds of people, like Jeff Coons. Jeff Coons, excellent example. Like, I mean, that when you, they, when they figure out that way to, it's not even about like, branding to a style but it's like branding their name yeah do you know i had this idea to do this gallery and perfectly legal again (laughs) i had this idea to do this gallery called branded so what i was going to do was put you know like a basket this is and then a tiny little knot not a basket so you've got the basket out there then this is not a Damien Hurst. This is not. And I thought Andy Warhol. Because they're all easy to do. Silk screens, you know, all that sort of stuff is easy to do. And, uh, and I thought, so you could have in your house a lovely big, you know, 10 million, 5 million pound work for a relative of 2 or 3,000, 4,000, something like that, you know. And I thought, myself, it would be quite a good idea. Because then you can, you know, Roy Lichtenstein, you know, I quite like doing those. Easy again. Nothing against Roy Lichtenstein, but like pretty minimal, simple in their in their execution. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, it's it's not brain surgery how to work it out, you know. And the paints and stuff, the bend dots, you know, fairly simple, you know. But all these things, I was thinking to myself, you know. So you go in, so they're making millions now, and the big Andy Warhols, you know, all this. I thought to myself, the spin paintings again. I mean, I've got a spin machine. I do all the skulls, the guns, you know, all this like. And he's got the same initials as me. <laughs> all I do put DH on the back, you know. Totally honest. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but I did think about doing that because the art world is, you don't say, oh, I've, I've just paid 500000 for a set of dots. You say, I've just paid 500000 for Damien Hurst. 
I've just bought a Rembrandt. You know, but you don't say. I think when you realise that, when the penny drops, there has to be. It's not how good you are. It's how good a salesman you are, or how you get your name above everyone else that is trying to create attention or grab attention. Somehow you got to think. You look at my stuff, you know, and I'll tell you another funny little story. When I had my first <laughs> exhibition. I love it. I don't even have to ask any questions. You're just going to tell stories. Go ahead. <laughs> well, when I had my first exhibition, when I, when I got found out, so we thought we'd capitalize on it. And I had um, I hired a little gallery and I had a Van Gogh the sunflowers in the window. And I had loads of other pictures and stuff. And on the night, I was doing some filming with Sky Arts for a program. So they filmed it. The, the local Brighton film, they come and filmed it, and someone else, I can't remember who else is filming it. So there was three film sets there at the time, you know, so there was a big crowd of people looking, wondering why there was three film crews there. And so anyway, so, that, so it was really good because of what happened, and I was on Radio 4, and I went on there and I said, I've already sold four paintings and I haven't even opened the doors yet. It's not open till next week. And this is pre-publicity. Well, the phone went and I sold because I hadn't actually sold four paintings. I think I sold one. But because I hyped it up, we sold quite a few paintings before we opened, which was great. And then when we opened, so we had the Van Gogh sunflowers in the window. So I said to my wife, I might get a couple of lads I know to put a brick through the window, steal the Van Gogh, and then we can call the newspapers in tomorrow and say, my sunflowers have been stolen. <laughs> and anyway, she said, you can't do that. And she wouldn't let me do it. It's a, it's good, though. That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, the other thing I was going to do, and it was a two- or three-story building, and it was all newly painted white. And I said, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get some Banksy stencils of stormtroopers coming down on a rope with art police on their back. <laughs> you can't, because we'll have to paint the bits. You wouldn't let me do all these things. But you see, I think you've got to create you know, a buzz, basically. It, but it gets harder and harder these days because basically, like realistically, there are so many artists and creative people in any industry trying to make a buzz. Like it's like how, like you know, what was it, twenty, twenty-five years ago? I'm going off of your website that like you started doing sort of these sort of authentic forgeries <laughs> kind of thing. So back then, it, it was kind of easy to make a buzz and sort of make a name. Like nothing personal to you, but like I'm saying, like it was easier pre-internet pre-social media now there are simply so many people with youtube and so all the social medias and all these things it's really hard to make a name for yourself to stand out yeah absolutely that's why one of the things i really like is to do brainstorming because you have to use your creative brain to think of different ways as long as you get your work out in the morning like you know i'll get my painting out in the morning and then sometimes you bounce off people, you know, and they'll say something wacky and you'll say something wacky. I'll tell you what else I did one day, because <laughs> this is another case of trying to get publicity. So, so once you, because it's always like the internet now, once you do something, it's always out there. And what I did was when Barack Obama was coming out of office, I saw a thing on him one day and he had a big Norman Rockwell painting in the Oval Office they had borrowed, you know, they borrowed some certain picture and then they go back after their turn. Well, I'd actually painted that painting. I had it here. So what I did was I phoned the local film crew up and I said, look, I'd like to give a message to Barack Obama. 
this is when I had the same exhibition. So anyway, so they came up. So I stood in front of the cameras and I was a little bit nervous because I wasn't used to sort of thing. And they just said, go on then. You know, so I was a little bit stuttery. I said, oh, hi, Barack. Hi, uh, Michelle. I said, <laughs> I said, I know this is your favourite painting. I said, um, and I've done a copy of it and it was on the stand behind me. And I said, I'd like to gift it to you. I can get it to you in America, but if you're in Brighton, I've got an exhibition. <laughs> I said, you know, you can come there. Anyway, and, um, what the, the local film is a Brighton film company, you know, latest news. They tried to sell it to CNN because then it would have gone around the world. But anyway, CNN didn't buy it, which is unfortunate. But if they did, what we were going to do, we were going to get, because I knew Barack Obama wouldn't take it from me. But what we were going to do, we were going to get a green screen of the White House, and then we were going to get a Michelle Obama and Barack Obama lookalike, and I was going to give him the painting. So just as a follow-up. I wouldn't be surprised if you could get it to them somehow. Like It, it could be done now, now. I've still got it. Interesting. Yeah, but you see, that that's not a great example, but I think it's the old story of it. If someone buys something, it makes you fashionable. If someone, you know, that's really, um, think, then all of a sudden everyone else looks at you. Sure. Well, like when I was in school, I remember there was this uh, journalist that I knew, arts journalist, and he was telling me the story. He's like, there was this exhibition that this guy was having at an old foundry, right? A brick foundry. And so his invitation that he sent in the mail was a brick that he just wrote on sh with a Sharpie on the outside, come see my exhibition, and literally just like put the stamp on the brick and <laughs> just like wrote it. And literally, so like no envelope, no package or anything, just literally a brick in the mail. And that, that arts journalist never forgot that artist. There you go. So that, that's brilliant. I know. But, but I feel like these days, because of social media and all the other things, like, it's almost like we've forgotten that we have to do this because we think that internet, social media, YouTube podcasts, as I'm doing this, are the ways to do it. But realistically, like we're the creative people in society. We're the ones that should be coming up with the creative ways to do things, and we're not. Yeah. Well, do you know, this is, you know, as an artist and as yourself as an artist, this is a really, really good subject of how you get noticed because – you know, as you know and as I know, there's, there's people out there far more talented than I am, but I make more money. And there are people out there who are far less talented, who are famous. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Which is sometimes is the ones that shout the loudest to get the most attention. You know, you can be a fantastic artist living in your garret and not really doing much. Well, I know a fella, um, he lives down the road from me. There's some real talented people around where I am. He sells his pictures for £200, and honestly, they're, they're fantastic. And he hasn't got a name, and he's really shy. And he's multi-talented, a very talented guy. I won't plug him just because, you know. <laughs> but, but okay. He's got to plug himself, you know. But all joking aside, no, he's a, he's a talented guy. He has to work and then do his art part-time. He's only got one child but he can't pay his bills from his art. And you'd think he's a portrait artist and he's such a talented guy that you'd think, well, because I said to him when I saw his pictures, 
So you've got, you've got to put your prices up. You can't do that quality of work for £200, you know. Well, see, okay, pricing of artwork is a whole thing I don't understand because I've seen some shit artwork priced incredibly high. I've seen some amazing artwork priced incredibly low. And and I cannot figure out for the life of me how prices are decided other than somebody, you know, them, the art people, the curators, the collectors, the gallerist, whatever, they just decide what you're worth. And that's it. That's what you're worth. Yeah. Well, see, I've got a theory. On my website, I put up paintings for £50,000, £30,000. I sell in the galleries between £1,000 and £15,000. I'm in quite a few galleries around the country, and that's my range. But then I've got certain pieces like the Salvador Mundi behind me. Yes, I saw it on your social media. I've got it on for 50000 Because one thing you have to learn as, as an artist as well, you have to, Picasso, he knew his worth. Don't undersell yourself because what happens is, and Billy the Brush, my friend, he used to sell quite cheaply. And then what happened? They had one dealer coming by and all his stuff. And the dealer keep knocking his prices down. And in the end... Billy said to me, he said, well, I'm working virtually for nothing. He said, because he doesn't, and he won't, he begrudges giving me more now because he's used to paying those low prices. You know, so if you go low, it's very difficult. People think they're being had over when you put your prices up. So the thing is, you have to know your worth. You have to know what you want to sell at and stick at it. And don't do favors, you know, go, well, you can have that because you're a friend and I'll let you have that cheaper, you know, because... People never pay the full price. Well, I ran into that exact situation because, okay, I was I was raised in the United States and I had a price in the United States. Then I went to the Middle East. I was in Abu Dhabi in Dubai. And there I kind of had to inflate my price because my prices were insanely cheap for that market. And then I moved to Europe. I now live in Prague. And in Prague, I took my prices out and they were like, oh no, you can't price your artwork at that. Nobody in this market will pay that because the market is lower in Prague than it is in Dubai and et cetera. So it's not even just like pricing your work right, but it's trying to figure out sort of the right price that's not too high for a low market and not too low for a high market. Like there's, it's a really, cause, because you have to be consistent. Like in the old days, it could have been a ten thousand pound piece in London, and it could have been a seven thousand five hundred in Paris, and that would have been fine because they didn't know each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. Now you you have to be consistent. Like you can't put a lower price in one market and a higher price in another market because, well, everybody's connected and everybody will know it. Yeah, but also the the thing I think as well, you have to target what market you want to be in. So if, like myself, I'm doing reproductions and, I mean, I I don't only copy. I'm doing my own version of Caravaggio at the moment with a Caravaggio professor, professor who studies Caravaggio, and we're doing an old, a lost painting. So I'm just sourcing a 400-year-old canvas and stuff. We're going to age it up and we're going to, you know. But the thing is, I won't sell those Caravaggio. They're big, but I won't sell those to someone who's, a middle-class person, really. I'm trying to attract the people with a lot of money because they're the ones that have got that, that sort of money. You know, £50,000 I'm asking for one, I think, or 30000 I can't remember. But 
that's the sort of money I want for those because I want, you know, I'm attracting those, those high buyers and I want it to hurt because you must know this as, as an artist. If you've bought something that's expensive, you value it more. So if you've got that on your wall and you and it's hurt to pay it, you know, it's a lot of money, you're going to look at it and love it. If you've given, depending on your bank balance, if you've given something, it, it's nothing to you, you know, £10,000 like a tip, you're not going to value it, you're not going to get the pleasure out of it. But if you've paid 100000 you're going to take a little bit more notice, you know, and that's, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's my sort of thing, but I like to be expensive, you know, because I think people value it more. So under this valuing and pricing and stuff, like it's one thing to, like coming up, uh, coming up with your prices, choosing a value, all this kind of stuff. It's all great. But if you can't find that market to actually pay these prices, it's useless because like I know lots of artists who have pieces that are stunning for $25,000, but they can't find their market. So like, what's your methodology? Are you selling through your, your personal website? Do you have galleries? Like what, what kind of ways do you do to connect with clients? I do a lot through the galleries, which is my bread and butter. And they, as I said, they go from a thousand pounds for a small picture up to 15,000 for a bigger sort of piece. But then I've got my own, I've got my website, which I sell personally from. And I have, I've got some illustrious clients, you know, that I've got over the years and I've kept really good things. I mean, one guy, uh, you know, in Annabelle's in Mayfair. I don't know personally, no. Oh, it's a nightclub. I'm not, I've never been there either. But in the hallway, I know they've got a real Picasso. The owner paid £30 million for it. Fuck. And he renamed it Annabelle's. It was Mary Therese with a red pom-pom. One of the members of Annabelle's really liked the painting. And so I painted one for him, you know, which I, I got really good money for, you know. So I have these people and, you know, and we do repeat business. You know, he said, like the, the basket, that's sold. That's going to Marbella. So, yeah, I think you have to have one eye on. But now you've got the internet, you know, and you've got worldwide things. The, the thing I do, I think, is I'm fortunate because obviously known as a forger. Yeah, kind of can't hide that now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I get lots of other interests that an ordinary artist won't get. You know, people say to me, oh, can you do. I've got another client that wants a basket another basket, but a new one, yeah, a new original. So I've got to age it up, you know, right down to the stretches at the back. They're in inches rather than centimetres because it's from America, you know, and we've got the, the unprimed canvas. You know, I've got the whole nine yards, you know, and, um, yeah, so I'll create a new basket. And, and it'd be expensive. You know, I won't sell it cheap because it's a £30 million painting that I make up using elements of basket, not pastiche, but I'll use his colours his palette and stuff. But I'm not going to do it for nothing. Okay, wait. I want to know, because of course I love heist movies and things like this. Have you ever knowingly or unknowingly participated in any sort of like theft where you like you created the forgery and they swapped it out for the, the original or anything like this? Like, has that ever happened? Well, <laughs> it's quite funny. <laughs> funny you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah it has happened well, well i'm just working with i don't know if you've heard of peter james he's an author not by name oh he's a million seller author but anyway, we're working together on a concept well he's writing the book and i'm just giving him some advice on something along those lines and um do you know 
Have you heard of Nick Moran, the actor? He was in Not Snatch, the other one, Lockstock. Well, yeah, I've seen the movie, but I could, yeah, okay. He's been in Harry Potter, and he's he's a director. He just directed Creation Stories mm-hmm. about Oasis manager, I forget his name, Alan McGee, where he was in, he directed, and he, he was in it as Malcolm McLaren. Well, he's written a script, and we're, it's getting filmed this year, I hope, where I'm kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, it's David Henty, I'm kidnapped, and I have to do this painting for this thing anyway. And there's a sequel to it as well, which is really good, you know. So yeah, these things are, well, they help yourself for one. Yes, I've probably been involved in that sort of thing before. (laughs) I have experience of those sort of things, you know. We'll go with unknowingly. Unknowingly, yes, unwittingly. Unwittingly, yeah, there you go, yes. Well, I'll tell you a little scab I was going to do. You know the baskets? We got the same canvas that he got. And it's unprimed, and we've got the same stretchers, and I have a frame maker make them up. And we're in the process of doing some things. But Well, I thought we'd go one better. What we'd do is we'd recreate his studio, which is just to hire a thing, recreate a studio. But also, you know now in Germany you can get these latex masks. So you look, so you put a, they do a 3D printed thing, you put it on, it's, and so you look like that's yet. You could just CGI that these days, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, you could get, I mean, we know, I know different people, I suppose, you know, we, oh, yeah. you know, we come across these people. But I was going to think of doing these baskets, and as an added little incentive, getting a, having a studio there, having a Polaroid, I've got a 1970s Polaroid camera, taking a photograph, just a side shot, or just enough to sort of, you know, a grainy sort of photograph with the work. And then tucking it in the back with the stretcher, you know. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying, well, it might be, you know. Um, <laughs> so, so, so maybe, you know, that is, I'll be looking at those sort of little lines later, you know. Well, I mean, but this is the kind of stuff that, like, you know, many artists love this kind of stuff. Like, I love it. It's like, if you're going to do something, overdo it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Do you know, this is the thing that, with my brothers, my two brothers. You know, they both got talent as artists. You need that extra little bit of something, you know, where you're, you've got that more confidence maybe that you go, you know, I'll stand out in the crowd and I'm not afraid to stand out. Well, it's, it, it's like when you're caught in a lie that you like, like you have to do, you, like double down on it basically. Like that's the only way to get out. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, well, you got to keep fake it to make it, you know, <laughs> but I think you do need to be a salesman as well. Because, you know, there's some fantastic artists out there. And very, it's like a musician's. Very few make it. There's only a handful that make, you know, a lot of musicians end up as session musicians. You know, very, very good, you know, on par with all the, all the greats and stuff. But they end up as session musicians. They haven't got that, I don't know if it's X Factor, or they haven't got that salesman where they stand out and they go to the front, you know, and say, look at me, look, this is what I can do. And like you say, with that brick, people remember it. You know, they do something out of the ordinary. But that's the hard part is like, like when I was just out of art school, so we're talking, let's see, the turn of the 20, 20 arts, I guess, the turn of the 2000, like it was almost easier to stand out because there were even if you tried to stand out, you're just standing out in your your city or your region. But like these days, you're in such competition with 
the worldwide market, it's really hard to just even stand out at all because like local news is actually world news these days. Yeah. But, but you say that, but do you know, look at Banksy. I want to make something really clear. I'm saying this, this podcast is called the wise fool because I'm obviously doing a lot of things wrong. So please school me on how to do it right. Cause obviously I'm doing something wrong and you're doing something right because you're making tons of money doing these works. So tell me. Yeah. We were doing Banksy's. The kids, I've got my grandkids came out at the weekend and we were painting Banksy's and they've, they've taken to their school today <laughs> to show the teacher. <laughs> but but the thing is, you know, Banksy, he's a case in point. The more publicity, I've got a commission to do four Banksy monkeys. I have to do them on the, on the sort of metal plates that he used. He did one on his metal plate. It's like an industrial, you know, the drawers and stuff with the cabinets. He did one on there anyway. He's up to sale for, I think, a million pound or something. The owner wants four copies of it because he's selling it. They're really, I mean, they take 10 minutes. Now, that's how easy they are. You know, the hardest bit was sourcing the material, the backboard, you know, the things get that right. It's harder to frame it than it is to paint it. You know, it takes 10 minutes. It's literally a spray can, a stencil, and that's it. You know, and then, you know, so, but that's worth a million pounds. Again, it's all about cult of personality. I mean, I mean, I admire these people who do it really well. I admire the Jeff Koons, the Damien Hurst, the Banksies, all these people who do it. But it's it's really hard because I mean, part of it is I'm a bit of an art snob. You know, like my my life goal is like I want to be part of the art canon and like I want to be remembered for being a great whatever this the other thing. But sometimes you, you sit back and you're like, "Fuck, I just want to make money." <laughs> Yeah. Well, you see, the the funny thing is, the art establishment as such doesn't like me. Well, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, well, they don't. The critics and stuff, they don't like me because they say I'm devaluing art. You know, when I do a Modigliani, you know, I do it on an old canvas. You know, I can do one quite easily. I could do one in an afternoon. Age it up. They're saying, well, he's devaluing Modigliani. You know. And I've had this conversation with an art professor. But I said, but he never made any money in his life. He died starving. And at his funeral, his paintings were changing hands for more money than he'd ever earned in his lifetime. Well, not only that, but like you're not devaluing Medigliani. You're devaluing the collections of some very rich people who own Medigliani. So like it had, you in no way affected Medigliani. He's passed away. Yeah. And, and if you know his story, his wife, he was 37, I think. His wife was 21 and nine months pregnant. And she jumped out the window, I think, within 48 hours of his death. But, you know, later on, when they, they interviewed one of her relatives, they said, you know, why would she do that? That's very selfish to jump out the window, you know, nine months pregnant. And the relative explained she'd been starving for a week. She hadn't eaten for a week. There's no way she could take care of the baby. She didn't see any future, you know, which is, and now the paintings, even her paintings, make thousands and thousands. Modigliani will routinely make between five, 10 million up to, I think, 50 million or something. You know, they never saw a penny. They lived in squalor, you know. So the art world is all topsy turvy, and I don't particularly like the art critics, <laughs> and I know they don't like me. And I think, well, great, because we know where we stand. 
Well, I mean, if the cure, if the critics don't like you and stuff, but you do sell, you sell a lot from what I gather. So, but like who buys these kind of like, I'm trying to still trying to find the right word. It's not like forgeries. It's in the, in the, what's the word you use in the after you use after so and so <laughs> like okay the forgies who 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 like what kind of people buy them and like why do they buy them? one of my best sellers in the galleries is uh lowry i've noticed you do a lot with lowry yeah the galleries took i think 10 yesterday new lowry's but what they they keep selling lowry's they they sell them because people love lowry you know they but they can't actually afford one they're so expensive now yeah, they go up to five million. The little ones, you know, routinely a hundred thousand pounds. That's a small ten by eight. I can do Lowry. I mean, I've done a thousand Lowrys. Um, I've done, you know, a lot, a lot. I mean, I've got there's about five here, just waiting to be framed. And they took ten yesterday. So I do Lowrys, but people they feel a genuine affection for Lowry, but they can't afford a real one. But then one of mine you know, which is a real painting. It's not a print. You know, it's got a bit of life to it. I'm, and I've studied Lowry. I know how he gets his... They're not matchstick men. They've got life in their figures. They move, and they're characterful. So when you know all these things, and you know how he painted, and I can age it up, you can... I'll tell you another little story. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I love your stories. It's great. <laughs> Peter James, the author. I'm in one of his books as well. Before, he's writing one now, but he's a crime writer. But I'm in another one of his books, I think it was about two or three years ago. And he said to me, and by the way, when I had my first exhibition, he came and opened it and I've got crime, because he's a crime writer, I've got crime scene tape across the doors and he cut the tape, <laughs> which is quite, quite a good sort of little, little touch. No, he said to me, come to the launch of my book and it's in the old police station in Brighton. So when I went there and I'd given Pete a little Lowry when he came round and we were doing the research for the book, I'd give him a little Lowry painting. Well, when he got up, he was doing a talk and he said, oh, there's 50 policemen, retired policemen here. There's, cause he's got a big following in that. There's so many policemen and there's one rather infamous crook. He said, and he pointed to me and I thought, oh. so anyway, but he was doing this talk and he said, he said, David gave me a Lowry. He said, Tim Wanacott of the Antiques Roadshow program. He said he came round for lunch with his wife and he said he said he was looking at it and he said, Oh yeah, it's definitely genuine. <laughs> so and he was telling all these people. So and he said he had to tell him, no, no, it's a David, David Henty painted it. But the point being, it's got a real life to it. It's not dead print or it's not, you know, anything else. It it's a real sort of picture. And I think people genuinely like him, you know, that he is my bestseller. I mean, I sell so many, they sell quite a few, three or four a week, you know the galleries and stuff. That's why I have to keep doing so many. Three or four a week? Yeah, yeah. Oh, they, they, they fly out. I mean, I'm in quite a few galleries up and down the country. Well, that's what was another question I was going to have because, like, I've seen – I did – I watched the Vice video with you, and, and I'm, which was fun. And Billy, Billy the Brush. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I was sort of wondering, like, you seem to have a, a market, like, again, going back to, like, your, like knowing your market, your market seems to be uh, in the UK. So, like, do you, are your per, the people who buy your works all, all or majority in the UK, or are they all over the world? Mainly, the, it is the UK. I am UK-based. Although, talking to you earlier, I did think about Dubai and Abu Dhabi. 
<laughs> you know, because the funny thing is, the Caravaggios I do, which I've got quite a few here, and they're big and they're nicely framed and, you know, they're, they're real. I put a lot of time and effort into them. I was looking to those type of markets to sell those. And they probably would do beautifully. Yeah, because they they do, you know, they are statement pieces. Not everyone's cup of tea. I mean, you know, there's beheading, you know, um, holding heads and stuff. Well, it depends on what religion they are in the Middle East. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I did, I had been thinking about it. It's just, the funny thing is that I'm so busy at the moment that it's very difficult to pursue these other things because, you know, I'm, I'm a working artist, basically. So I have to get, I mean, I've got, commissions to do and i've got you know different things to do so i'm quite busy all the time you know which is great i mean it's better to be busy than not busy as as an artist but i will get round to it because i want that other market if i could retire tomorrow you know with so many million pound and never have to worry about money again i would just do the old masters rubens caravaggio tintoretto i would just recreate their works and then my habit is I recreate five or ten really close works, and then I can paint in their style because I have that muscle memory. So then I can create work in that style. That's my mo basically. So if I was rich, that's what I would do. I wouldn't do anything else. I'd just be doing them old masters because I love them, you know. Well, from the price points and the quantity you seem to be selling, I, I certainly wouldn't call you poor. No, 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 not no, no. <laughs> Was that not the tax man? This is <laughs> and that VAT man is the terrible that one, dude. I'm from the US. I got to Europe and I'm like, fucking VATs 21%. It's a killer, it used to be 15. That was spiteful, you know. Now, and because I'm a service, I don't get anything back. So basically, it's a flat. <laughs> so they just take it from you, yeah. The more successful you are, the more money you have to pay, which is a bit of a pain, but. But still, I suppose, you know, it's a, it's a pleasant pain to have because I've been in the position where I haven't sold anything as well. I remember I, I did um, a painting years ago of uh, Jack Vetriani's The Bluebird. And I was trying to sell it to my brother. And it's a big, quite a big painting. And it's, I think it's about three foot long. You know, and it's an intricate painting. And my brother was struggling to give me 200 quid and he wouldn't give me 200 pounds because it's me and I didn't have a name, you know. And then, so I've been in that, the other side of the coin is I'm very grateful to be selling and working, you know, because I've been where you're trying to sell your works and they just don't go. Well, I mean, like I think back to like Andre Serrano and those kinds of people who like did the sort of shock art in order to get their name sort of kick-started and of course now if andre serrano does anything everybody's gonna be like andre serrano the guy that did piss christ is now doing this new thing like i've always wondered like you know i've had this like thing in my head as is really i've never said this out loud but that it's sort of like what are you willing to do like what are you willing to get arrested for like my things were always i'm willing to get arrested for my art and i'm willing to get arrested for some sort of sexual act in public (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but those are the only two things like outside, other than that, like I never got arrested for all my drug use or any of that kind of stuff, which is great. But like, sometimes you have to push the limits of things in order to sort of jumpstart a career. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not encouraging anybody to do illegal things, but no, no. <laughs> well, it, well, it didn't hurt me. <laughs> well, I mean, 
was there a time where i mean did you go through like a you know you were doing all these forgeries and then you got caught and like how did you turn that around was it just as easy as let's capitalize on this and you're off to the races i'll tell you what happened i was doing so well doing the forgeries because i lived in cyprus for a year and and i've been painting over there and stuff i went over there to live because i got hooked on some drugs here being in that circle and so i went over there took myself away from all my circle of friends basically what what were you doing i did i was uh, my ending stuff was like heroin cocaine that kind of stuff okay i love cocaine no, cocaine it was just strictly cocaine but yeah yeah but i mean i, I got into it and you know i was sitting in it wasn't a pleasure i was looking out the window five o'clock in the morning thinking i'll just have one more line you know on my own you know and um anyway the circle of friends i had yeah the, the circle friends, you just couldn't get out of that habit because they'd turn up and they go, oh, he's a, he's a line, Dave. And then you're back on it for the, you know, even though you've sort of said, I'm not going to do it. So I took myself away and I went to Cyprus for a year. So what happened was I cleaned myself up. I went jogging, I, you know, just really just led a good life and I was painting. Okay. Wait, to get, wait, to give a time. What, what, what part of your life was this forgery time? pre-prison late after prison like what give me a time frame i've always done forgery all through my life you know my dad my dad was a forger what yeah my dad was um, a jeweler and he used to make his own jewelry and his own he had his own stamps and um to the day he died my dad used to make his own pound coins he had a machine you know he always had a packet of, a pocket full of change you know and he you know he used to cast up silver candlesticks when we were kids not kids, you know, in that sort of 18, 20, you know, that sort of age. And my brothers used to sell them at Bermondsey. And he had one pair of candlesticks, Georgian candlesticks, that he took the cars from. And every week they'd be selling Georgian candlesticks up there and, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. And um, my dad was a good forger. And <laughs> did his, <laughs> his eyes, his eyes went, <laughs> and, he, and they were getting a bit rough, his forgeries in the end. And I used to do paintings for my dad when I was, well, barely left school. I used to touch in, we had an antique shop, and I used to touch in old pot boilers, you know, old, old just country scenes, and I'd, I'd change them. Because it was something I found really easy to do. So I'd, I'd put a 1920s golfer in there, or I'd put a 1920s fisherman, all the little subjects that sell, put a little river in there, you know, liven the painting up, age it up, and my dad used to sell it. But I never thought I could get any money out of it because he never used to pay me. So I never sort of equated it with money. But getting back to the thing, it was about 14, 15 years ago, I went to Cyprus to clean up, basically. But while I was there, I started doing painting my own work. But there were, I didn't really use the internet or anything then, so I, I couldn't sell anything. So in the end, I was giving them away. And I couldn't earn a living over there because, basically, I, I didn't know how to, you know. So then I came back, and then I met my wife now, Natanya. And she had a really good job and stuff. And she said, look, I can't afford any police and all that sort of stuff. I don't, you know, you're dodgy mates and all this sort of stuff. You have to make a straight living. Well, at the age of 50, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I thought, well, so how do I do that? And so what I did, and this is how it all started, really. My brother was doing eBay with the watches. Old, he was buying and selling old watches and stuff. And he said, why don't you put your paintings on eBay? So I said, all right. So I, I did this painting of um, a boxer, an American boxer. But I put it on eBay. 
and it's taken me a week to get this painting right. I put it on eBay. I forgot to put the post and packaging on. I ended up selling it for forty pounds for a week's work, and that say the fees and the post and packaging out. So I ended up with nothing basically. So I thought, well, this is not going to work, and that was my own painting under my own name. So then my brother came round, and we were talking about art and stuff, and um, he liked these clouds. And the Paul Henry, he's an Irish artist. Well, anyway, so he, he used to do these nice clouds. So we painted it, or I painted it out, and it took me about an hour, you know, when he was sitting there, we painted one out and thing. So I signed it, and um, I put it on eBay, and I got a £1,000, even after, you know, in the style of. So when you think, you know, there's an afternoon's work, and I got a £1,000, or I do my own stuff, and I get £40, you know, the sort of penny dropped, so that's when I started doing my stuff. And because, because of my wife, Natalia, I took advice to make sure that I wasn't crossing the line, you know, I couldn't get arrested. And that's where it really started from, you know. And then and I was doing it for five years, I think. I had five sites, and I sold a 1,000 paintings in one site because I was taking names out and putting names in as well. I was earning so much money. I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. It's never going to end. And when I got outed by the, the Telegraph, they were doing a thing on eBay, you know, and fake painters and stuff. And when they did a big story, you know, they said, look, we're going to write a story about you anyway, so you may as well, you know, tell your side. So I did. I said, well, I knew I couldn't get arrested, so I did that. Anyway, and then, so that happened, and I didn't tell my wife, and there was all newspaper reports, the Sun and all that, <laughs> the Daily Mail were all turned up on the door, and she was saying, why do these people keep calling? I said, oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> So anyway, so eventually she found out. So I got some more sites. They banned me from eBay. I just changed my IP number on the computer. And I just, and then I cracked on again, you know, for another year. Yeah, the guy from the Telegraph and Robert Mendick phoned me up and he said, hi, Dave. He said, I've noticed your Winston Churchill painting on the eBay. He said, when it was doing really well at the time, he said, we're going to do an article about you on the Sunday Telegraph. He said, anything you'd like to say? And so I said, yeah, well, let me get my money out of PayPal this time. So, <laughs> so I downloaded all my money out because they freeze it. They knocked all my sites off again. I've got a lifetime ban. And I was sitting there thinking, right, what can I do? You know, they've taken away eBay, which was my best-selling, you know, tour at the time. And then I got a letter through the post from a guy in Ireland. He wanted me to do these commissions. So I said, I'll do them. They're three commissions. I think they were £4,000 each. I said, I'll do them for 4000 each. You know? And that's how it started. So I did that. And then I, I thought to myself, I've had so much press coverage, I'll, have, I'll do an exhibition. And that's what, what it all happened. Since then, it's gone on and on. But what you said earlier, there was a point you said earlier, that you have to keep reinventing yourself. Because when I phoned the papers up, Robert Mendick, he's a friend of mine now, he has one of my Picassos on his wall. Now? Yeah. But he, when I phone him up and say, look, Robert, I'm doing a, an exhibition. Can you cover it in the Telegraph? He'll say, he did the first time, but then he, the second time he says, look, I can't because I can't keep redoing the same story. So you have to have another angle to get that coverage. And I know that coverage sells, sells paintings. So to get that coverage, you need to come at a different way because they don't want to hear the same story 20 times. 
Well, and that's really hard because I mean, it's, it's hard enough to be like a make work, then be like, get some way to have exhibitions or get some interest, but then see, you have to like figure out an angle, like how are people going to engage in it or desire to buy it or write an article about it? Like I I'll, I'll admit, like I'm even having the difficulty. I'm trying to get this podcast, more people to listen to the podcast. And so I'm trying to like find an angle to pitch the podcast so that like people write articles about it. I can't figure that out. Like, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Well, you know, there was a time, I don't know if you were aware in England, Lean in 15. Joe Wicks. Joe Wicks, yeah. And he, and he shouts out the window, Lean in 15. But the thing was, I, I was sitting with an instructor, a really good instructor. I used to go and do these classes and stuff. And she struggled to get five or 10 people in her classes. But she was really, really clever at what she did. She was very good at it. And I sat there talking to her one day, and I said, oh, you know, what's it, how come Joe Wicks can get, he sells books, he does all this, he's got a million, so many million followers. You're just as good, but you can't get that, that thing. But she took it as an insult. She thought I was on the go. But I wasn't. I was actually trying to, it's the crux of what you were just saying. I was trying to say, what, what's the difference about Joe Wicks and this girl? You know, why can't she get three million followers and, sell out every seminar and, you know, write books and do podcasts. Being a hustler. Well, yeah. I mean, Joe Rogan is another podcast, you know. And um, and the thing is, he's got so much influence now. It's like a snowball. You know, the more higher-rated people he gets on there, the more people he attracts and the more people to listen. So he's got that snowball going. So when I realized the papers don't want to write the same stories, then you have to do it from a different way. If you want to be relevant, you've got to think of how else to attract publicity or attention. Or Because whenever I do a device film, I had 1.1 million viewers or something. I didn't get paid for it, but what it equated to me was it sold lots of paintings. Oh, I'm sure. it was. I, I was thoroughly enthralled. It was great fun. That's how I found you, actually. Oh, right. But, that, but that's the thing. I mean, when Vice phoned, I hadn't heard of them <laughs> being a bit of a dinosaur on the internet. And they phoned, they said, we're, we're doing a film about Art Forge. Would you like to be in it? I said, yeah, I'm just going down the beach because it was a nice sunny day. I said, can you phone back <laughs> in a couple of hours? <laughs> but luckily, luckily, you know, they did. And, we, you know, now it's history. And we're hoping to do some more, actually, with them. But the thing is, you know, you have to keep getting these opportunities and trying to, you know, that was good for me, but now it's gone because that's yesterday's news. I know. Well, I, I mean, and that's another part of the, the arts world that I'm finding uh, vexing slash difficult, which is that uh, everything goes in and out of favor over decades, A, but also it's just being able to, because like I can think of a dozen artists that were popular or interesting or whatever at a certain point and then sort of never regained or continued that popularity the rest of their careers and that it's that's that really difficult thing is because it's not about ju just making a sale but it's about trying to build a career so that you continue to make sales or have exhibitions or what you know whatever it is you desire in your career mm. well you, do you know one of the things that i said a lot of paintings by is my story. So people are interested because one, most people haven't met a forger, an art forger. 
You are my first art forger, <laughs> by the way. Just <laughs> well, well, Billy the Brush and I. I mean, we talk two or three times a week about art and different things. You know, we see in the art newspaper, we see online, or you know, he's very interested in stuff. I'm very interested in how we go about things. You know, there was an article once, and they had a Picasso, and they were doing lots of tests on it because they thought it was fake, but the paint was the right period paint. The canvas was the right from the thirties and they went by it with a microscope and doing little squares and stuff. And they found a little piece of fiber in there from a shirt. They tested the fiber and they said it was propropylene or something, you know, but it wasn't invented till the fifties. Yeah. Polyester. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so they said the the painting couldn't have been done in the thirties because it had that, that thing from someone's shirt from the fifties. So it's decided it was a fake. So then Billy and I are talking and we said, well, let's get hold of a piece of, from the museum or so, you know, of 1920s clothing and we embed it in the paint. You know, so, so we're looking at doing, you know, we, we, that's our chats, you know, looking at ways we can, if someone's found a way to find something out, then we think of a way to go around it <laughs> and use it, you know. Well, I mean, that's the thing is like trying to figure out how, like I'm sitting here, I, I'm angry. I'm like, oh, the algorithm of the social media. And like, like I'm so, you know, a little bit like, so like, I don't know how to game the system kind of thing, but you know how to game the system. Well, I suppose it's, we're all learning. I mean, I'm like you, I mean, I'm not, I'm not as high up as I'd like to be, but I do know that once that vice thing had a 1.1 million viewers, Congratulations, by the way. Oh, my young nephew, because I was feeling depressed a little while ago, and he said, why are you depressed? You've had 1.1, because to them, that's like, you know, oh, you you know, but but the thing was, 1.1, and then, then it stops. I went on another TV program. Oh, what was it called? Some programs on BBC One, and the phone didn't stop ringing for three weeks. And then it did. Yeah, then it stopped. Then it stopped. And it just, it's dead. It's like a cliff. And then... You either suffer, you think, oh, you know, no one likes me anymore. I've gone out of fashion. I've had my five minutes. Or you think of some, a new way of using, you know, whatever you've got behind you and using it in a new way. I was really lucky. You call it luck, but I gave a painting away years ago, a little Picasso, and it turned up in an auction down the road from me. Do, do you mean down the road at like Sotheby's or like down the road at like local? I know it was three miles from my house. It's only a little backstreet auction. But anyway, I knew that Roland Penrose, because I've got his book, he lives it down the road from me a few miles. And he was a friend of Picasso's. And I knew that Picasso had come to visit him. So I did this painting and I put on the back to Roland, love Pablo, you know. So anyway, ended up in this auction. They thought they're, their number came in, so they said they got Sky in, they got all these different newspapers and, and things all over the, the internet, you know. Million pound Picasso turns up at this auction. So I got a phone call from Robert Mendick from the Telegraph. He said, David, is that one of yours? And I hadn't seen it. So I looked at the in- online, I said, oh, yeah, it's one of mine. I said, you know, and I was a bit bewildered that it was there. So anyway, I said, yeah, it's one of mine. It's not even that good. It was just one I gave away. It was a, like a practice one, you know. So he did the sto- ran the story, but anyway, they were coming around. They were saying he's lying, he's doing this. But the thing was, that million pound Picasso got, was another sort of a, although inadvertently, it got plenty of coverage. 
you know, and I've got quite a few commissions on the strength of it, <laughs> which is, you know, it's quite funny, really. Okay, wait, the, but this there's a, something I forgot to ask because I've been wondering about this. How can you get away with using the names of like, okay, well, let's take Damien Hurst because he's still a living artist. He has the sort of the rights to his name. So like, how can you even use their names legally? Well, I use Damien Heist. Seriously? Well, but I mean, okay, but let, then let's take some of the, like the, the older ones. Like, yeah. so like I mean, even because I'm thinking like, um, oh, so, okay, I'm looking at your website while I'm thinking about this. Okay. Let's take Cla- Claude Monet. Many Monets are owned by certain museums, and those museums use those images in tote bags and umbrellas and stuff to make money. So, like, how do you have the rights to use these sort of famous names that other institutions and whatever are using for their money making thing to do yours? Like, to me, it sounds like there should be somebody should own a name. I don't, I'm not sure. 70 years after the copyright ends, after 70 years. Right, but Damien Hurst is still alive. <laughs> no, well, I, I don't do I do Damien Heist. <laughs> but you know the other thing as well, is, and this is the law, I can do one of your paintings, I can copy one of your pictures, sign your name right, as a homage and give it to someone and or sell it. But as long as I don't say it's yours, originals, I can get away with it. It's only when it, it's being sold as your work that it's a crime. So I can see your work and go, I really like that. I'm going to do a copy of that or a version. And even just where, somewhere along the lines, it adds your name to it. That's an excellent idea. This is what I need to do to jumpstart my career is to get a forger to forge one of my works. <laughs> well, the thing is, but you can't legally think because I haven't sold with intent. I understand that, but I'm thinking just as an artist, like how can an artist jumpstart their career, get a forger to forge it, and then you can get a news article written about somebody selling a forgery of your work, and there then you're famous. Yeah. Well, do you know, do you know there's an old story about, you know, Kim Kardashian? I've heard of her, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my daughter, you know, loves her, but I can't see the, the thing. But, but anyway, she was paid, I think, quarter of a million pound to plug – some sort of Love Island holiday. I don't know if you heard about it. And it was a scam. Oh, yes. Yeah. The, what was it? The, wasn't it the fire, the fire Festival? Was that it? I don't know. But it was some scam. I, I, it was in the back of my mind. And I, I remember seeing it. Yeah. So she got paid for, I don't know, it's two or three Instagram posts. And they sold so many. You know, and it was turned out to be a scam. There was nothing there. It was, you know. But the thing, that's the power of you know, someone like that. So if someone like that has got your book or one of your paintings or whatever, you know, and I have to say to my sister, why don't you send your books to all these different people, you know? The same with your paintings. You could if you wanted to, if they accept them. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not going to lie. I've thought about that. and But the problem that I came up with was getting it to them. Because all of these people who are sort of worthwhile to get it to that would, you know, somehow boost your career uh, are inaccessible. 
you know, like we, it's, you can't get their mailing address and just ship them something, <laughs> you know, it would be their, their representative. And then of course the representative would throw it out and it would never actually get to them kind of thing. So yeah, trying to, but the idea of like just doing that, I mean, I've seen artists these days that are doing like a sort of print or artist swaps kind of things. Like a lesser known artist will do a trade with a more well-known artist and they'll, they'll, they'll like post them on Instagram saying like, Oh, look, I just got this great thing from this, you know, young upcoming artist. And suddenly that young upcoming artist sells everything. Becomes a name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, Oh my, I just heard that. I just heard this, this, um, uh, Jerry salts, he posted some picture of a young girl who just did her MFA, like never sold a piece in her life kind of thing. And the moment he had like within 24 hours of him posting on Instagram about how he liked it, she had sold every piece she'd ever made. Yeah. Well, see, that's the power of celebrity, you know? And the, the thing is to become an artist, you want to have an eye on not being a celebrity maybe, but being, having one foot in that world, you know, I'll tell you what I did a, a while ago, there's a perfume maker called Roger. He's big here. He's in Harrods. He was from Brighton. So one Christmas, I sent him, not Harrods, um, another shop up there. I can't remember what it's called. Fortnum and Mason. I sent the director of Fortnum and Mason. And I forget who else, the third one. I sent three little Picassos to these people, just to their offices. Wait, the two of them I never got an answer back from. But Roger Dove had his assistant call me and said, look, why did you send me this painting? And I got to meet him and we talked about collaborating on this bits of way. He wanted me to do some stuff. But the funny thing was we didn't see eye to eye. and I didn't want to do what he wanted me to do. It wasn't my style. So, but we parted friends, you know, and, it, and he, but he was mystified, scratching his head. Why did you send me a Picasso? <laughs> but the, but it, it got me to the front door. Sometimes I think that is a way of doing it maybe knock on people's door, you know. I'll tell you what I'm doing as well. I'll tell you what, I haven't got time at the moment, but you know Tyson Fury, the boxer? Well, he lives in England, in Morecambe. And everyone knows where he lives there. It's a small town and he's a big figure. Well, I wanted to, I've done some boxing paintings, which, which are actually of Tyson Fury. And I've sold, I sold them privately. They were on my Instagram and I sold them because I was going to go and give one to him. And he's got, three or four million followers on Instagram. And he's actually a really nice guy. But the reason why I wanted to give it to him was one, you know, hopefully he'd put it on Instagram. I've got this painting of me knocking out Deontay Wilder. But the secondly was I wanted to take a photograph of him standing there with his arms up in the air. He's six foot nine tall. And I wanted to get like a board behind him and from his feet to his arms up with his gloves on to do a silhouette of him to basically, you know, see how tall he is. And then what I wanted to do was paint a picture from the photograph of him, six, all six foot nine of him with his arms up in the air. And then I was going to do two or three versions. I was going to offer one to the portrait gallery, the portrait gallery in London, because I hadn't got one of him. And I wanted it so that people could go and stand up close to him. He's a heavyweight champion of the world. They could stand next to this guy, see how broad he is and how tall he is, you know, and also, I wanted to give him one because he's very interested in mental health charities to give him an original. And then we sell 20 prints for £10,000 each and all the money goes to his charity, to his mental health charity. He signs them and I sign them. The thing is, you see things like that. I haven't done it because I haven't had time. But you see things like that 
and it puts you on another level. I don't get any money from it, but you'll get all those people that then will, will want a picture of Tyson Fury or boxing painting. You tap into that market. It's a great idea. I mean, I've also noticed you do a lot of like philanthropy work. You do a lot of charitable work as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, do you know what? I always think if you give out, you get back. You know, if you're mean and sort of, you end up being mean and, you know, hunched over and holding on to all your things. But we did, we, well, I always try and do it. And the galleries don't like me doing it too much because, you know, obviously it's going for charity and um, everything else like that, you know, and, but I love doing it. It's hard. In the, like where I grew up in the United States, the quote unquote like charitable stuff was really, it was just ways for charities to get like artists to donate things because we would get a tax write off for anything we donate. And then they would sell what would be like a thousand dollar piece for like $250. So it, it was a place where people who liked art would go to try and get good deals because they could get it below market value. But that's been changing, I have to admit. But I'm talking about, you know, back in the 2000s when I started out, it was it was a very unfortunate situation, the whole sort of charitable artists participating stuff. But I've seen I've seen better ones basically where now artists can sort of set their base price, like don't sell it for less than this, because then it hurts hurts my reputation. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I saw something, you know, when the pandemic first started and they were showing a lot in Italy. And there was people there, there was a mother there with a child, and she wasn't getting any benefits. And, and the neighbours would get dropping her food off because she didn't have any food. And I thought, how many more people? Because I was lucky I worked through the, through the pandemic, doing private commissions. But how many people lost their businesses or all of a sudden they've, they're high flying and then they've got nothing? I've got the galleries to do all around the country for the food banks. And all the money went to the food banks. And, you know, every painting we did, we sold within, I think, Within two minutes, when the auction opened, we sold it, you know, and um, all around the country. And, yeah, and I, I felt great. You know, we didn't earn any money, but it was a good thing to do. And having, like yourself, probably, I've been in that position where I've been hungry. And, you know, when I was being in, I had no one to go to go and get a meal or anything like that. You know, you've been hungry. You, you have to go and work. Or, you know, that was how it was when we were kids, you know. I couldn't go to my dad and say, oh, dad, you know. Because you'd say, well, stand on your own two feet, you know. Yeah. I've been hungry, you know. So I, I, there were there were times in my life like that, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, I wouldn't like to see anyone like that, you know. Yeah. I, I, I've lived a reasonably privileged life, I would have to say. But there were times where it was, uh, you know, ramen noodles for, for weeks on end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we there were times when we were, my brothers and I, we were hungry, you know. My mum and dad split when we were young and my mum went off you know my dad sort of had a girlfriend so we were just sort of left sometimes you know and um it was hard you know sometimes if there's no food in the cupboard we'd look at each other what do we do you know and uh that, that was it you know you had to go and and we were only kids you had to go and you know make like you say hustle to get some food you know and we used to love going the old milkman going nicking the milk behind him and stuff you know and the, and the bread <laughs> but yeah but so there that's a fun story but but now i think getting back to your thing i think you have to keep be like madonna keep reinventing yourself keep your story current you know and attract it to you you know don't and don't worry about standing out from the crowd that's what you want 
you know, being a little bit different, you want to, like that brick, you want to be noticed and remembered. And I think that I might even, <laughs> I might even incorporate that. <laughs> I mean, it was a great idea. Like it really was. Yeah. You know, but that's the thing, you know, you remember him. That's all you want, isn't it? To be remembered. Yeah, I don't remember the name of the artist, but the the, the guy who received the brick does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, but you know, that's the thing. We probably somewhere along the line that go in, go in, in the subconscious and pop out in another way. And you know, there'd be, I suppose, sending your things out with a twenty pound note attached. They're going to remember. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, I was raised, my parents were always like, you know, when, when you send out a resume for a job, like when they have a stack of resumes on the desk, they're all on a white paper. They all look exactly the same. They're all the same size. It's like, you got to do something to stand out in that stack, you know? So like I used to do colored papers or like oversized pieces of paper, anything to make it so like they would have to notice mine because it just simply wouldn't match everybody else's. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's how you want to do your art as well. Or you're selling yourself, you know? <sighs> Boy, that's the tough one though. Not only do you have to figure out a way to do it, but then you also have to continually reinvent it and continually be figuring out. So like, it's literally a lifetime of, of continually reinventing, which don't get me wrong. I love it. I'm all for it. But boy, that just takes a lot of work. But I suppose once you've got a foot in, in doing it, then it becomes easier because you have all that. It's a bit like myself. I've got all this stuff behind me. So now I'll get more opportunities in front of me. You know, that's how... You have to look at it, you know. Well, that's the thing. The hardest one to get is the first one. It's the first one. Yeah. That's the hardest one. And that's the one you want to put in. If you're starting out as an artist, if I was starting out again today, I would do my work, but I would make a plan how to get it noticed. And I'd want it get it noticed, you know, either virally, so it goes viral. I'd want to get it noticed, you know, right from the start. You know, if we if we had to go back in time, Let's do it. Yeah. I would think, yeah, right now, this is what how I'm going to present my work. And I would really put some thought into that. I know. I got to sit down and do a business plan. <laughs> I'm not a businessman. That's why it's really hard. So it's like, okay. You know, it's like once you start, it should be like a, a ball, you know, a snowball running down a hill. I know. And part of it is like, you have to be very thoughtful on what you want that sort of grain of that snowball to be like, so like, because whatever you get defined as in the beginning, that will be the thing that will then become the way you are sort of thought of, you better be really thoughtful about that because you're stuck with it the rest of your career. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like, well, like you, you've done it. I mean, I'm sure there are people who, who dislike you or don't whatever you work, but, but the thing is, is like, you owned it, you know, you're a forger and you are known for it. You were proud of it. And you just, you just say, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. See, so I like, I like it when people don't like me. Somehow I'm not surprised by this. Well, well a lot of professors and stuff are people, you know, they don't like me and they've done interviews and they don't, well, you know, but we get it right. Cause we're on the same page. Yeah. I'm a professor. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of them, they look down their nose at me. You must've noticed this snobby sort of thing. No, snobby people in academia? I'm shocked. Yeah. Well, they, as someone like me who's, you know, I'm educated, but I'm not well educated, but I know what I like and I know what I don't like. And when they start talking about, I watch every art program I can, but when they start thinking, talking, you know, 
oh, that was his so-and-so. And he had these influence. You know, and all of a sudden, they start using these long words, and I lose interest, and I start falling asleep. You know, I don't want to know that. I want to know what I like doing is I, I like knowing how an artist gets into that left side of the brain. Is it the left side or the right side? He clicks in. Once you click in. I'm wrong. I, I don't yeah. know. The creative yeah. side. Well, there's one side. You know when you're driving up the motorway and you realize you've gone three service stations, you think, have I gone there? Because you've been daydreaming. And when you work sometimes, you get into that thing. You click over and you look at the time and you think, oh, fine enough. Where'd that time go? You know, because you're in it so much. And it's that creative side just coming through your subconscious coming through. And you're just working, you know. And I've done paintings where I've looked back and I thought, how did I do that? I can't remember how I've done it, you know. So that's the sort of thing I like. I was going to say, so why do academics not like you? Well, I'm passionate about art. I love art. I was going to say, like, you 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 fit an, a niche like you, you're not for everybody you're right like so like some academic from a museum or an institution is going to be like oh he's just a forger like blah blah but it takes work research skill craftsmanship lots of things to make a good quality forgery you have to do your homework i mean i watch everything i mean my poor wife you know every night we watch art programs or i'm always got things that i like to when i'm working in my studio, I like to have stuff I've taped on in the background about certain artists. I'm interested in Tintoretto at the moment. I'm looking at him and because I love Caravaggio. Caravaggio was influenced by Tintoretto. So I'm looking at the connection and stuff, and I like to take it in. And I'll probably play it 10 times, the program I've got taped, just so it goes in, you know. But there's a lot of work behind the scenes to become a good forger. Once you could do it, once uh, Lowry, Basquiat, Modigliani, Picasso, I have muscle memory. So I can get a canvas and I can draw out a Picasso and paint one out of my mind because I have that muscle memory. I've done so many. Okay, wait. Speaking of muscle memory, I was wondering, like, so, okay, when you're doing a forgery, let's say, are, are you right-handed naturally or left-handed? I'm both. I can paint with both hands. That's, well, that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to say, like, so, like, if it's a left-handed painter, do you then paint with the left hand, the kind of thing? Do you know that there's a? I don't know if you can see him. There's there's two William Waterhouses there. Well, he's left-handed. So when I was doing him, I was thinking, I was working. I was thinking, this is this not going right? Because the shading's going the other way. That's right. Yeah. Because that's what I was thinking. I was like, like, there are certain artists that like the angles and the, the the way of the brush strokes are going to be opposite if you do it in the wrong hand. Yeah. No, I can paint with both hands. I'm more dominant with my right. But if I'm doing a big picture, like a basket, and I'm, I'm in that flow, I paint with both hands because I want to get the paint on. I often, you know, smudge with one hand, paint with that, and, you know, sort of have a brush here and I, you know, mark with that and a dark one with that one, a lighter one with that. So yeah, so I, I use both basically. But yeah, but when you're doing the left-handed, Leonardo is left-handed, so it's it's easier to use your left, you know. But then you you know if your right's more dominant, you put in the defining bits, you know, the fine bits. He's holding up his hand and sort of drawing with his thumb right now for the listeners that can't see that. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, animated. <laughs> but yeah, the critics don't like me. I mean. I, I've had quite a few people when I've done interviews and stuff and they've been on the same interview and they, they dislike me immensely. But, you know, I like it that they don't like, because 
you need to debate and you need to argue. There's, there's always just not just one one path. There's all different paths to go down. Well, according to them, there's only one path, and it's their path. Yeah, yeah, but you know, but it doesn't work for everyone, does it? I never went to an art school. I haven't had a lesson. I'm self-taught, and I, I get to where I'm going by experimenting. And I learn a lot of wrong ways to do it before I learn the right way. As we all do. Yeah. Well, in my basement downstairs, I mean, I've got more wrong paintings than I have right paintings, you know, more mistakes than him. Uh, but, that, but that's how you learn. If you don't learn by that, or you learn quicker by making a mistake, because then you sort of think, well, I won't do that again. I've just spent two hours doing that, and it hasn't worked. You know, that's two hours thing, but you've got to use that. Well, wait, okay. Do you have like storage of lots of stuff? Because this is one of these things that like as an artist, I always think about is like, okay, great. I make these monumental stone sculptures, but if they don't sell or aren't on exhibition, you have to store them somewhere. So like, do you have like storage units of extra stuff or does everything leave? I've got a basement downstairs and there's all my half finished paintings, paintings that haven't worked, paintings that at some stage I'm going to paint over. I was going to say, because like everything to you is a resource, so you could rework it or take the paint off and redo it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I've got old canvases, old frames, but there's a lot of stuff down there that, you know, drawings, they're working out, you know, and you work out a, a different picture and stuff. And you look at it the next day and you think, oh, my God, <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> you know, there's nothing like it. So you scrub that out or you just leave it and start again. That's the way I learn. You know, that's the way I take different artists that I like and I have to like them to do them. And that's the way I, I work it out. You know, Modigliani, I mean, I love doing him and I love doing Soutine, his friend. In actual fact, I love doing Soutine more than Modigliani, but they don't sell as well. Name recognition again. Yeah, but, but I like doing them. So I do them, you know, I do them for pleasure. But I always learn with every painting I do, I learn. All right, this has gone really long, so let's wrap this up. The last thing I generally ask, you've done some amazing sort of advice and ideas, but I generally sort of ask, do you have any sort of advice for the next generation of artists to help them out? Something maybe you haven't mentioned yet. Um, Which, you know, is hard to get noticed, but then it's not. You know, if you think outside the box or get a group of you like yourself, I mean, I'd love to have a chat with you and a couple of others, put us in a room, and throw some ideas about and see what pops up, you know, and go, yeah, you know, do you know what? This is different. No one's done this before. Let's do that. I'm all for it. I'm in. Tell me where and when. Because artists need exposure. If you haven't got a name, you don't sell. You know, it's like if you haven't got a resume, you can't get a job. Same sort of thing. So, you know, we need to sort of sit down and think about different ways to get get noticed, basically, and get high-profile followers and Things are not fake ones or anything like that. You know, we talk about real, you know, and sell pieces. Well, that's one of the other things. Like, I I thought about that idea of like sending a work to a famous person so they put it on Instagram, blah blah blah, whatever this kind of thing. But the thing is, is I don't know if they'd like it. So, like, maybe I'll go through all this effort and the money, and you send a thing there, and they don't like it. So, like, how, you, you, it's that's a tough one because like you have to think about like would they even like it before you go through the effort to sell it? So it's like, uh, there's so much to it, but yeah. But, you know, if you don't take a chance, 
you're not in with a chance, are you? It's true. I mean, I do. When I started this podcast, like people were reluctant to even be on the podcast kind of thing. And so I, what I did was every guest that I met in person, I would give them a print of one of my pieces kind of things, just like as a nice little gesture. And I'm hoping some way that that might help out. Because I mean, my cunning plan, this is my cunning plan, but <laughs> you had yours. Mine is, I'm hoping that this podcast will actually help my career, like so, like my art career. But it hasn't yet. But I'm hoping it will in the future. Do you know, I've got, I know we've got to wrap up, but I've got a collector who's a million, multi-millionaire. And we, we talk, and he's, a, he's an angel investor. And, and what he says to me, you know, he said, yeah, it's all great. You've been on TV, doing Vice, doing this, doing that. Bottom line is, you need to sell paintings. Never forget, we get carried away with this and that. Bottom line is, you need to sell paintings. I like that. That's mine. Yep. Showing, I'm showing him a piece of my work in the background. Yeah, no, I like that. I, I, I saw your stuff a little while ago. See, that's good. That's interesting. But now it needs to be out. It needs to be somewhere big and where it's going to be seen, you know. Quite honestly, talking with you right now, I'm feeling very motivated. I'm like, oh, great. I've got this idea. I should do this. I already, like, this is here. Okay. From your inspiration, my cunning plan right now is I'm thinking I'm going to try and find an empty building with a storefront that I could like basically find the owner and you know put my art on display. But it happens yeah. to be a storefront that's near the newspaper. So, yeah, yeah. so the, the press people are walking by it every day, and hopefully one of them yeah. might be like, hey, we should write an article about this person. Yeah. Well, do you know, that, that looks – I mean, I know David Bowie's gone now. But that'd be a David Bowie type piece, I'm sure. Oh, I know. He saw that because he liked those layers and those lines and that stuff, you know, and that half hidden. I'm sure if he saw that, David Bowie would have been a buyer, <sighs> you know. So you need to find another David Bowie. Yeah, we all need to find <laughs> another David Bowie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, <sighs> but no, you know, I hope. Well, I hope it's given a little bit of inspiration. You know, it has. You've been instance. you've been a lot of fun. This has been, you know, I'm always a little nervous about doing podcasts, but this has been a lot of oh, fun. Man. Very nice. No. You see, if you're passionate about something, you know, that's and the thing is, what a job we've got. You know, seriously, I sit at home and I paint. I get out of bed and I paint. If I feel the mood in in the middle of the night, I paint. You know, what a great job, and we get paid for it. I know. I mean, there's certainly. Certainly so many worse jobs to have in the world. I mean, it is quite a, a privileged slash luxurious lifestyle to be able to be an artist. Yeah. When I go on holiday, I always take my stuff with me and I paint. Quite often I've, I've painted and I've sold the pictures. They've paid for the holiday. Nice. Albeit forgeries. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, all right. Then we, uh, I don't know. If you, if you want to go on any more. No, this is good. This is way longer than my normal episodes. <laughs> we'll probably put everyone to sleep now. <laughs> oh, no. No, this is thoroughly entertaining. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And I love that piece. And I, I mean that. Thank you. So, you know, just you've got to get it out there. Get it out there. I tell you, might like that is Helena bon Bonham Carter. I love Helena Bonham Carter. It, that reminded me of her just then, you know, looking – because she loves quirky and different. Sure. Yeah, big fan of like Tim Burton, Johnny yeah, yeah. Depp, all that gang. Like I'm all for him. Johnny Depp. 
There you are. I know. Get one to Johnny. Get one to Johnny. Oddly enough, I I I know a lady who knows like Johnny's, I don't know, publicity person or press person. And like she was like, yeah. Oh yeah, I can get your work to Johnny. And I'm like, do it. Yes, I'm there. Let's go. <laughs> Anything yeah. hasn't happened yet. But I'll we'll work on it, it again. Press it today. Do it. I just gotta send an email saying, Hey, whatever happened to that Johnny Depp connection? Yeah, we'll just send the picture. Say, can you get this to John? Then, um, you know. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wish you the best luck. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. I hope you are enjoying and learning from the stories, experiences, and advice of our guests as much as I am. If you like the podcast, we would appreciate a five-star rating and a nice comment would be greatly appreciated. Please be sure to tell your friends to listen and subscribe as well. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014. Audio editing is done by Jakub Czerny. And I am your host, Matthew Doles. For more information about the podcast and our guests, please visit our website, wisefoolpod.com. The Wise Fool is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunst Centrene i Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com.